Welcome to Policed in Ireland, the podcast that seeks to capture the experiences people have with the police. I'm Dr Vicky Conway and I'm passionate about listening to people from all different walks of life about how they experience our police on Garda Síochána. And he said, no, no, we will need to deport you to Denmark. And it's like, but hey, the thing is, I don't have a visa anymore in Denmark. If you deport me, I, I probably will have problems there too, because I will not have a visa. And he said, yeah, but that is not my problem. In the first episode of this podcast, we spoke to Maho Rivas about her experience of being policed as an immigrant living in Ireland. This week, we look at a different experience that migrants have, what it's like to try and enter the country. Stefani Alquinta arrived at Dublin Airport on the 2nd of July this year, was denied entry and spent 12 days in detention in Mountjoy Prison. She did not have access to a lawyer until the 10th day, who was quickly able to get her released. Stefani is going to tell us today about her experience. There are a number of things to pick apart, things that few people have much reason to think about ordinarily. Firstly, when does the state have the power to deny people entry to the country? How is that used and how is it overseen? Second, can the state actively detain someone in addition to denying them entry? And third, who does the detaining and how is that done? We'll speak to Dr Liam Thornton, an academic, and Luke Butterley, a journalist, to help understand all of this. And, as before, what the Garda role is in all of that and what we want it to be will be a central question. But most of all, we'll focus on listening to how this was experienced by Stefani. Well, um, I'm from Chile. I'm 32 years old. And I came to Ireland because I wanted to uh, take an English course. My idea is to work in Denmark. I would like to do a PhD. And, but for that, I need to have a certification of my English. And also, I have to uh, have a really high level of English. And I don't. <laughs> so for that reason, I came here to, to do the course. I'm environmental engineer. So I would uh, like to do something related with uh, energy, uh, like green energy. That will be the field. What else? Well, I have uh, two sisters. One is in New Zealand, the other one is in Chile. She explained to me why she had decided to come to Ireland and what impact coronavirus made on her plans. If you compare with other countries that you can uh, uh, study English, it's cheaper than other ones. And uh, you also give us the possibility to, to work part-time. So that is good also because... Uh, we can save a little money or at least pay for for accommodation and food. And it, it, I think it's super good. And um, also because uh, my best friend, uh, she's from Chile, and she uh, planned uh, the last year to come here uh, to study English in May. So I, 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 I saw her the last time almost three years ago, so it was like a super good opportunity to live together and spend time together. So, But of course, all, that also changed because of Corona. I wanted to come on, in, on May, but of course, because of that, I postponed the time and uh, I extend my visa in Denmark. And in the end, for that reason, I arrived in July. Stefani flew into Dublin Airport, and as most listeners will be aware, one of the first things that happens when you arrive is that you go through passport control, where agents of the state confirm whether or not you are permitted to enter the country. In Dublin Airport, the frontline immigration work is now done by immigration officials rather than Gardaí. In all other airports and ports, this work is done by Gardaí. There are different categories of entry. If you have a passport from certain countries, you have a right of entry. 
If you're traveling from some countries, you apply for a visa in advance, but others you don't have to apply for in advance. And even if you have a visa in advance, you can be denied entry or leave to land, as it is known. Chileans, we don't need to apply for a visa in advance. It's on arrival. So the thing that we have to bring is all the papers that prove that you are already, you already pay the, the school. You have to have a letter from the school that confirm that you are already, you did everything there, that you is everything ready with that. You have to have a certain amount of money in your bank account. Uh, like uh, uh, many different papers that you have to bring to prove in uh, when you arrive to the airport that you come with that idea to study. So, um, but additional of that, uh, I, because was Corona time, I asked if I have to bring anything else. And, and she said that uh, I have to prove when, when, I, when I arrived that uh, I had a, t- a place to do the quarantine. And who did you ask that? Uh, to the foreign affairs. Yes, they have, they have a web chat in the internet. So I asked there and I print that conversation. So when I arrived in the airport, and I was talking with, with the guy in, in the airport. I show him the conversation. I said, like, but I don't understand why I have a problem because he said, no, we, we cannot let you in because uh, the school is closed. So uh, in, in the students cannot, it, there is no reason to you to come here. And, and I said, like, yeah, but, but I already asked for this and, and in they said that I will not have a problem if I bring all the papers from the school and uh, if I have a place to do the quarantine. And he said, and, and, I, and, I, and I show the, the, the conversation and the guy said that, ah, yeah, but probably they don't know what we are doing here. Dr. Liam Thornton of the Sutherland School of Law in UCD is an expert in migration and refugee law. A visa has a permission to travel to Ireland. It's just a travel permission. It is not a guarantee of entry. So not all countries will require a visa prior to arrival in Ireland. Uh, So, for example, Chilean citizens, they they are not required to obtain a visa prior to their arrival in Ireland. They can seek permission to enter Ireland once they arrive on at the borders of the state, uh, whereas then citizens of a significant number of other countries, such as Palestine, Vietnam, Sierra Leone, etc., they all have to have a visa in order to be able to travel to the state. But just having that visa does not give you permission to enter the state. That is not provided until an individual is physically present at the frontiers or at the border of the state, within an immigration hall, within an airport or within the seaport, um, and then a decision of whether a person has permission to enter the state, that's then made by an immigration officer or a member of the Garda Siakona who, who is on immigration duty. Stefani was fully confident she would have no problems entering the country. No, I wasn't nervous. I was just fine, yeah. Because I knew that I have everything. For I, I mean, because I'm engineer and I work in environment, you have to have everything uh, with um, all the information and everything has to have a f- proof, you know. So I do that also in my real life. It's like every I try to have everything with with the proof. So for that reason, I ask in this chat. And for that reason, I print the conversation because I really don't want to have any problem. So uh, when I came, it was like, I was not nervous at all. Because, you know, when you do nothing, it's you don't have to be afraid about anything. The Immigration Act 2004 permits an immigration officer or a Garda to grant an individual permission to enter Ireland. It sets out 14 different grounds for refusal of entry. It might be because the immigration officer is not provided with enough evidence that a person can support themselves while in Ireland. Um, It might be that um, the immigration officer has suspicions that the person is entering Ireland 
that the stated purpose for them entering Ireland is somewhat false, that they may be really attempting to, for example, enter the labour market when they don't have an employment permit to do so. And then there's that kind of broad catch-all provision in no way unique within any, any state in the world that refusal of a permission to, to enter is due to, because it would not be conducive to the public good. How those conditions are practically implemented, given the kind of very broad statutory language and a very wide discretion, um, that's something that practitioners and civil society organisations have questioned for the last almost 20 years. For listeners of the show, there is a familiar issue when it comes to studying this process. We lack significant data on how a refusal is made or certainly it's not publicly available what training immigration officers undertake in order to kind of make in a relatively speedy decision as to why an individual either is granted permission to enter or will be refused permission to enter um, because that refusal can only ever be challenged by means of a judicial review. It may not be maybe well known outside legal circles. A judicial review of decision isn't a, an appeal. It's just you'd have to show kind of some form of substantial procedural irregularity or some form of bad faith, in essence, in the exercise of the immigration officer's powers. Well, I said, hello, and give the paper that um, you have to sign because of Corona with all the details where you will stay, blah, blah, blah. And one of the questions was, why do you come to Ireland or something like that? Are you coming to Ireland? And I said, I said because I want to study. I saw his face when, 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 when he saw that and was like, why, why? It's like the schools are closed. And I said, yeah, I know the schools are closed, but I was in Denmark before. My visa in Denmark is ending, um, so I cannot uh, ask for another extension. There is no flights to Chile from Denmark to Chile. So I thought that the best idea was to come to Ireland. You have your your borders are open. So and I want to wait here until I can uh, until the schools were open. That should be in September. Many schools actually open now in September. So, and he said, ah, yeah, but, uh, but no, uh, that is, the schools are closed, so it's not necessary. And then he started to uh, look in, for example, the money in my bank account. And, and he took, he started to asking me, for example, uh, do you have, how long time have you been here in Europe? And I said, "Eh, almost, almost two and a half years. And he said, and, and when was the last time that you visited Chile? And I said, eh, two and a half years ago, that was the last time that I went, that I was in Chile. And he said, don't you miss your family? And I look at him and was like, is that relevant? It's like, and oh, for example, he said, but you know, your, your level, your English level is, it's quite good. I mean, I can you can understand. I, I can understand. Do you know that the schools in in Ireland are are the level of what they they teach is very low? Why you want to come here? And was like, well, I asked in my school, and they said that they have C one, which is the maximum in for uh, English and uh, not English speaker. You know, and and so and I can reach that, and in the school they have so. It was like, and so I have to explain all these personal reasons, and I, 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 I feel uncomfortable. But well, okay, fine. And then uh, when I, I when I said that I have this conversation, that I that I print this conversation, I show to him, and he said, "No, that web chat doesn't exist." And he's like, "It exists. I, I swear, I, I see it." And I, uh, he's, and I said. I can show you to, in my cell phone. So I started looking and of the web page and the website of the government and, and trying to find where was the web chat until I found it and show it to him. And that was the moment that he took my cell phone and he never returned it again. 
When the person standing in front of you is determining whether you can enter the country, you have very little power in that moment. And then imagine you are traveling and your phone is taken away by an official. It transpired when her case was eventually brought to court that the stated reason for refusing her entry was that she represents a real and immediate threat to the fundamental policy interests of the state. Yeah, so the uh, number of people who are refused entry um, into Ireland um, increased significantly last year in particular. Luke Butterly is a journalist who's been investigating the scale of this issue. So it was uh, 7,455 people were refused um, entry, um, and that was uh, over a 50% increase on 2018. And we have data on this going back to 2008. Last year was the highest year on record. And while there is occasionally dips, it has um, more or less increased kind of um, progressively over the past decade. Um, And so over the past decade is about 35,000 people were refused um, entry. So the government says that... um, Yes, people are refused, but there's a much larger um, number of people who um, come through and only a small number of people get turned away. Um, this is true, but um, and while the data is, is, is difficult to, to, to estimate precisely, we can see that the increase in uh, arrivals to the country last year was around 2%, whereas the increase in people refused was around 50%. So they're not um, proportionate. And that's the refusals at airports. There's also been a huge increase in refusals of visa applications, but Stefani couldn't apply for her visa in advance. And so she found herself in unexpected circumstances. Well, I was nervous. I was super nervous and was like, and he said, no, no, we will need to deport you to Denmark. And and it's like, but a... The thing is, I don't have a visa anymore in Denmark. I, I, my visa, I arrived here the 2nd of July, and my visa in Denmark will end at the 4th of July. So I said, like, if you deport me, I, I probably will have problems there too, because I will not have a visa. And, and he said, yeah, but that is not my problem. And I asked him if I can talk with someone else to explain the situation that I just want to wait here until the school will open that and he said no i because he is 10 and he went to uh, probably to talk with somebody else before or i don't know and he said i already asked to everybody and no you cannot talk with anybody else i feel like in the beginning he was a little rude but when he moved when we moved to the uh, the other room he moved to the other room he was more kind like trying to explain that uh, uh, he couldn't do anything else because it was like forbidden for a student to come to Ireland, to enter Ireland. And I said like, but, but that, is, that information is not in the website. This end, if, I, if I will know that, I, of course I will not come. It's like, it's, but I, I asked and nobody said that I will have a problem. Actually, they said that it will be all right. And I booked the place to to stay for 14 days, so I don't understand. And um, can I, I, I said to him, do you have anything like where I can put like a complaint? How is possible that your government, and if I ask before, do you have different information? And, and he said, no, 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 we don't have anything like that. This is detention by the state, whereby her liberty was being denied. Ordinarily, when you're being detained in the state, whether that's in a guard station, a prison, a mental health institution, a range of safeguards are in place. You have a number of clear rights and there are definite obligations on the state in terms of how you are treated. But this is all very different when we are talking about immigration detention. If an individual is refused permission to land, and uh, we'll assume that the person refused permission to land cannot kind of just turn around and, and you know, take a flight out of Ireland. Under the Immigration Act of 2003, an immigration officer or a member of the Gardaí can detain a person without warrant. And that person may be detained only for, uh, uh, for such time, um, enabling that person to be removed from the state. 
and there's a maximum limit of eight weeks set on that uh, detention. So that's an extraordinarily significant power that an individual who has not committed any form of criminal offence, they're simply being denied permission to enter Ireland, um, that there is an immediate power of detention that immigration officers and Gardaí have. Um, and for those who are being detained, they'll be detained in either one of the prisons or remand prisons in Ireland. Um, and that issue is very significant because we have recommendations going back to oh, the early 2000s. Um, and it was Mark Kelly and kind of, I suppose, his fairly seminal report on immigration detention in Ireland that drew attention to the fact that immigration those who are detained due to refusal of permission to enter will often be detained within facilities that are prisons. Um, and that goes against recommendations of various European and international human rights bodies that have clearly emphasised that if immigration detention is to be utilised, it's to be utilised extraordinarily sparingly. Detention should be exceptional, not done as a matter of course, within specialised facilities if immigration detention is going to be utilised, none of which of course exist in Ireland. In terms of the scale of these detentions, Luke has done a lot of work and the lack of information is very worrying. The issue of people being detained um, after being um, refused entry into the country was a was an issue that received some some coverage this year, but it's obviously been going on for many years. And in my own kind of um, research and writing on it, one of the the main things that really stood out is how little is known about it, how little is publicly known about it, even down to the data, even down to of the people who are refused entry into Ireland every year, which is in the thousands. How many of those are detained either in the airport or taken to a guard station or prison? And so the, the guardee position on this, when I spoke to them in, this, in the summer, is that when someone lands at a port, air or sea, and isn't um, allowed into the country, they are automatically detained. But they say in most cases they're detained in the port, so generally in the airport, um, for, I guess, a few hours, could be longer, while they wait to um, deport someone on a returning flight to where wherever they came from. But obviously we know that uh, some people are held for longer and they're generally held then in guard stations or in prisons, but we don't know how many. The Minister of Justice, who has oversight um, on immigration matters, was asked by TDs about this over the summer, and she said that to accurately obtain the requested information would require significant resource deployments um, and therefore um, refused to, to say how many people were detained. But we do know that hundreds of people are held in Irish prisons each year for immigration reasons, and that number has risen. So last year it was almost 500 people, and that was an 18% increase on 2018. So almost 500 people were held in prisons for immigration detention last year. And that's not a complete picture because it doesn't tell us how many were detained in ports or guard stations. So he said that he will uh, do all the papers to deport me to Denmark, that I have to stay in that room. And... And, but he will leave a note in the system. So when the schools will open, I will be able to return to an island without problem. Saying that the only reason why I couldn't enter the country was because uh, of Corona and because the schools were closed. I don't know how long time passed because I didn't have my cell phone and I don't have a watch. So, I think it was some hours, maybe two or three hours I was sitting there in that room. And then another guy came and he said, Stephanie, follow me. And, and he said that they will deport me in two days more to Denmark. 
because the, the next flight to Denmark was in two days more. And for that reason, they will need to, uh, they will bring me to the police station in, this, in the city to sleep for two nights. Ireland does not have an immigration detention facility, so instead, the prisons and the police step in and detain people. And they start to ask me things like, if, I, if I'm allergic, if I have uh, tattoos, the color of my eyes, like that, that kind of things. And, uh, and I, when, when they ask me if I have any like special diet, I said vegetarian and he said, yeah, but that doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, but that is not important, something like that. I don't know if 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 was a guard or a police or someone from immigration. I don't know. Between the different interviews she had, Estefani was never explained who these people were, what her rights were, or what the process would be. She was not advised that she was entitled to a lawyer. She actively made requests. So I spent there maybe 15 minutes, something like that. And at that time I said like, can I please call to my family? I need to tell them what is going on. And because I'm, I'm always uh, sending texts to my family, like by WhatsApp. So I said, yeah, I arrived to Ireland. Now I have to pass through in the immigration. I will tell you when I arrived uh, to the place, blah, 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 blah. So, and so he returned my cell phone. I, I called my boyfriend. He didn't answer. So I sent a, uh, a voice a message to my sister by WhatsApp saying that they said that they will uh, send me to, to the pre- to not a prison, the police station, and I will need to sleep there two nights. And, and then uh, that I have to, uh, they will deport me to Denmark. And I said to her, and I don't know what, it's, what will happen in, in that moment because, you know, I don't have more visa in Denmark. So... And she she immediately replied my message saying, Stephanie, don't worry. You will be all right. Just be calm. And I asked her to not tell to my mom. I said, can you not tell her or say that I'm, I'm sent, they sent me to a, like a center, medical center or something like that to do the quarantine, something like that? And she said, yeah, yeah, no problem. This is the last contact she had with her family for three days. I had myself in like two minutes, not more. It was very, very short time. And in, in that moment, two police guys um, uh, rode me to the prison. And when I saw the place and I saw it said Monjoy Prison, I was so scared. It was like, what? Is going on here. It was like I couldn't understand what was happening. It was like I I I think I was in shock. And I explained to them like, do you know what is going on? Like what uh, what happened next? Uh, I mean, uh, and I start to say, you know, I came here. I'm a student, and I tried to explain what what why was the reason why I was there, and. And he said, uh, one of the guards were, were, or the police was kind. And he was like, yeah, sometimes, yeah, Corona times is very bad, blah, blah, blah. And the other one was, ah, yeah, super idea. Ping pong between Denmark and, and Ireland. Like, like, um, very stupid. That was my suspicion. Stefani is unclear about the officials she met at the airport and when exactly the guardie got involved. They may have conducted some of the interviews, but at a minimum, they drove her to the prison and there had been talk of sleeping in a Garda station. When I hear this, of Gardi delivering this woman to a place of detention, I can't help but think of their role in institutions like the Magdalene Laundries. If young girls ran away, Gardi often returned them and this enabled the institutions to perpetuate the abuses. At whichever point the Gardi took over in Stefani's case, when they did, they took her into their custody until such time as they released her into someone else's custody. 
She was, at that point in time, their responsibility under their care. They are not just passive delivery drivers. They are active agents of the state and of the law with a duty to ensure that the rights of the person in their custody are being protected. That she knows what her rights are. That she is not being unlawfully detained. The Garda Síochána Act 2005 sets out the functions of Garda Síochána and one is to vindicate the human rights of each individual. No exceptions. Stefani clearly remembers asking them what was going on when they approached the prison and they did not properly explain or discuss her rights. Indeed, she says that one officer was overtly dismissive and demeaning. If our response in this scenario is to say, well, they can't be checking all of this for every person they engage with, then we really need to rethink what the functions of the guards are and who they're engaging with, because we all have these rights. Then I arrived to the prison, they opened the door, and everything like after that is, ex- they treat me exactly like they treat a prisoner. I had to change my clothes to the prisoner clothes. They took the, the photo with the lines. They asked very weird questions, like if I, if in any point of my life I tried to commit suicide or, uh, or, or things that for me was super crazy, like why am what, what, what is going on? And again, like, you know, I'm a student and then like, I don't know what I'm, why I'm here. So you, you've now been 24 hours being held and the last your family have heard is you might be deported back to Denmark mm-hmm. and they have no idea what's going on. They must have been frantic. Yeah, they were um, my... My my family was uh, super nervous. My sister, because she was the one that they knew what what was going on with me, because I sent the text. And but my boyfriend was crazy. He went. He said he went every day to the airport in in Denmark to ask what was going on. And and he said I called to the police. I called to immigration. I called to to the to the prison when they said that you were in prison. I called to everybody that was possible every two minutes and, and, and to try to, to get some information. And the thing is, it, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that my boyfriend is Danish, so he speaks English. But if, can you imagine if this happened to someone that have no one that speaks English? But any anyway, they said that it, my family said that many people t- told them that they cannot give them information because it's personal. But I didn't have a lawyer, and if my family cannot ask, I was in prison. I don't have a lawyer, so who can get information? The prison system has an internal system for making phone calls, and no one explained this to Stefani. In addition, you are only given six minutes a day. Later, she managed to phone her embassy to tell her story, but didn't manage to get information from them within the time. She'd now had no contact with her family since the airport. Well, after three days, I, I, I was able to speak for first time to my family. Because it was like, it's not working, it's not working. And after three days, they realized that they, they put the number wrong in the system like one that I gave it to them. And for that reason, it doesn't work. Her phone and most of her luggage, including her passport, had been held by immigration at Dublin Airport, so she hadn't been able to look for a different number. I was super afraid. I remember the first two nights I asked to the guards to leave the lights on during the night because I was afraid. I was there alone for 12 days. But in, in the beginning, I was in a cell for two, for three days. And then they changed me to another one that has a window. And that window, I can see the inmates in the yard, in like where they is. And when I uh, approach to the window, they start to make sounds like, like, like turning kisses, like, 
like that things that you can see in 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 movies. The people outside. Yes, outside. The inmates, the other inmates, when they saw me on the in the window, like standing beside to to my window, in my cell, they were like like making sounds and 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 were like exactly like you can see in movies and series, and that was so scary. So for the first three days, you had no window in your cell. No. Were you allowed out for exercise? No. And as a vegetarian, you were made to eat meat. Yes. The only uh, the only way that I speak with people and the guards is the the door has a little window, little little window, and they check every half an hour and every hour how, if you are okay or not. After three days of solitary confinement in prison, Stefani was ready to be deported. Uh, the day that they should deport me, uh, I, I just wanted to go. So I think at five or six in the morning, I was I, 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 I was ready to go. Like I take a shower, I was absolutely ready. And and when I, they arrived with the breakfast, I... I said that uh, they asked me if I was ready to go. And I said, yes, if everything is packed, I want to go. I am ready. And they said, okay, in 20 minutes, they will come to take you to the airport. And later, 20 minutes later, they said, Stephanie, no, you are not going. Um, and then that was the day three. And, and I asked why. And they said because they someone will come to make an interview or to get the asylum. Well, the day before, uh, one a woman asked me what my situation, what I was there, blah blah blah, and and she said that if I want to uh, ask for the asylum, and I said like, but can I ask for that? I mean, I'm um. I'm, I come as a student, so I don't know if I can ask for that and, and how will that work? And she said, well, I I don't know if you are going to get it, but yeah, you can ask for it. So I said, but do you think that it will help me? Or it, And she said, you can try it at least. So I signed the paper for the asylum on Friday. And on Saturday, they said that they will not deport me to Denmark because I, someone it will come to... A, make an interview to 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 do the thing of a asylum, and I said like yeah, but but when? And he said no, they will come today in the afternoon or tomorrow. And I said okay, and after that what happened? And no, they will give us um, an answer three or two hours later uh, of the interview. So I said like okay, fine. So. Two days more, it's fine. Today or tomorrow, fine. So, but today, nobody came. Tomorrow, no, nobody. So that was Monday. And I said, you know, I don't want anything. No asylum, cancel everything. Whatever you are doing, I don't want anything. Please, I want to go home. I don't want to uh, to be in jail anymore. It's horrible. It, uh, please, 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 I want to go home. I want to call my family. Can you, and I... Every time that a guard went to my cell, I said, you know, can you please ask to, to cancel the, the, the thing with the asylum? I don't want the asylum. Please, please. Can you tell to the, the chief or the person that uh, it's in the top of the, the, the prison? Please, please. And that day, one of the guards arrived and it said that uh, they, can, they couldn't find my, the paper that I signed. For the asylum, so if I want to, do, if I can sign it again, I was like, no, no, I don't want to sign it. No, please, no, 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 I don't want it. Cancel it. It then continued indefinitely, with her asking but getting no answers to any questions. On the Wednesday, her seventh day in the country, she asked for a lawyer. And I asked many times to everybody, and nobody has an answer. So, can I get a uh, uh, a lawyer? And they said, yeah, you you just have to use your phone and press three. I was like, oh, okay, it's just that simple. 
So I I called, I pressed three and nothing happened. It was like, eh, you know, it's not working. The system is not working. And she said, ah, it's because you don't have a solicitor. And it's like, eh, okay, so what happened? No, it's like you don't have a solicitor. So no solicitor, no. It, it, it wasn't like, yeah, we are going to find a solicitor for you. Your family have to find one. You don't have one. Getting out was not easy. Well, my sister in New Zealand, she said that she was super sad and, and she was like freaking out. And she thought that it was a good idea to go to the gym. So she went to run to the gym to feel if the stress, she can feel better. And when she was like running, she thought that maybe it will be a good idea to ask for a human rights organization for help. So she said, I went there, I was sweating, I was crying. I said, you know, my sister is in prison in Ireland. I don't know what to do. She's there like for more than one week. We call everybody, we talk with everybody and no one help us. Please, you have to help us. She said, she said that she cried in front of everybody. And then they tried to help her. They gave her a contact from a human rights organization in Ireland. So she sent an email to them and then they sent the, an email or the story to my solicitor. Wendy Lyons' solicitor, who has been on this podcast before, took on Stefani's case, challenging her detention under Article 40 of the Constitution, which provides that we shall not be deprived of our liberty save in due course of law. If the detention had no legal basis, it was a breach of her right to liberty. I remember a guard said, Stephanie, uh, you have to press five, I don't know, I don't remember it, because your solicitor wants to talk to you one day. I was like, what? I have a solicitor now? And she said, yeah, yeah, she wants to talk to you. And then I called and was Wendy and, and she said that my sister contacted her and she wants to help me, but she needs all the information, what happened in the airport, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, sure. But we have six minutes. So it was like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was talking so fast. <laughs> but but then she got or she talked with someone I don't know and we had the possibility to talk for 40 minutes after I went there and so I gave her all the information and she said I asked her do you think you will be able to help me and she said of course I will be able to help you I will bring the case to the court on Monday that was a was Saturday and she said, I will bring the case on Monday and and you will be free super soon. I hope on Monday. And I was like, no, really? And she said, yes, yes, don't worry. I will help you. So She's like your superhero. It, she is. She is my superhero. And all the people that work with her, it's it, she is my superhero. So on Monday, she went to visit me in prison. First time that I saw someone, like it was like through the window anyway, but anyway, I, I saw someone and she said that she went to the court and she presented my case and, and I will need to go to the court the next day. And I said like, but do you think I will leave uh, the prison like before? Um, because I didn't want to be more than 14 days because I thought that my mom will will start to asking like, why Stephanie didn't call me? It's already quarantine time already passed and she still don't call me. So, and and she said, no, no, I think you, you will be free tomorrow. I, I'm not, I cannot say that I'm 100% sure, but I, I think you will be free tomorrow after the court and you. So I went to the court next day and I was, well, the night before was terrible because I couldn't sleep at all. I was so nervous, so, so nervous. I cried so much because I said like, what happened if somebody, I don't know if they don't believe me. If, 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 I, I, I don't know because um, the, the guy from my embassy also told me that maybe they will 
check my cell phone if I said that I want to work it will be bad for for my case and I said like but I'm able to work 20 hours I mean I don't understand if of course I talk that I want to work if I have 20 hours for work it's you know and and I oh I was so nervous so nervous when I wasn't in in the court inside I was taken like when you are you super cold and you can like you're freezing but it was just nervous like I couldn't control I was so afraid and and then my case was like two minutes like it was I said they talk with the the the, the lawyers talk to each other and ta-na-na. I don't know, two minutes. And it was like, I had two guards from the prison beside of me. And I said like, what is going on? I asked them like, do you know what happened? And she said, you are released. And they were like, ah. like ah. and that was the moment that I was free. But it was super short, with nothing. In addition to stating that she should not have been detained, Stefani was also permitted to stay in the country and was able to collect her belongings that day. And I had 800 messages in, in my WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> it's because my family asked a write like almost every day what was going on. So it was very, it was, it was very um, uh, tough also to read the feeling that they had. My sister, yeah. for example, like, Stephanie, it's another day. Um, I'm trying to sleep and I cannot because I, I don't know where are you. We are calling to and we are trying to talk to everybody and nobody had an answer. Oh, Stephanie, Andreas went to the airport. I hope we have some uh, good news in a few hours. Perhaps surprisingly, Stefani chose to stay in Ireland. Because this is my dream. My dream is was and it still is to do the English course, to approve and get the certification and with that to apply for the PhD and why I had to give up because someone decided that I wasn't my time or, or, or I, I still am wondering if it was racism or, or if I, it was because I'm from Chile, because I'm brown, because I'm woman. I still don't know what happened. And, and I feel like it's not fair that I live and I have to give up my dreams just because someone decides something wrong. One decision made by one officer following a 10-minute conversation, which was then facilitated by others, led to 12 days in solitary confinement in prison and so much trauma for her and her family. Stevani has an incredible determination, spirit and warmth. It's humbling speaking to her. But as Luke has told us, this is happening to hundreds of people every year. We need to confront this. We need to question the Garda role in all of this. We need legal clarity to ensure that all such persons are immediately formed of their rights and that agencies fulfil their obligations to ensure those rights are realised and protected. All of the agencies that play a role in this need to address how they are facilitating and enabling this. I really don't want this happen again to anybody else. I really want that you improve as a country that part of that you have to do it, that you have a, a problem there, you have to solve it. There's also a substantial issue of transparency here. So much of what is done in this space is unseen. It's a real, real lack of information, a real, real dearth of data, and it is quite um, stark. So I'm based up in Belfast and I, I write about UK-wide issues as well. And their um, issues around immigration, detention and so on are, are equally contentious, but um, they're, much, they're much better documented in the, the Home Office, the department there, which has oversight on those issues, regularly releases and, you know, data on how many people are detained, how long are they detained for, where are they detained, and these kind of things. So people at least there have a, a, a clearer picture of what's happening. But in, in Ireland, that's really not the case. And um, 
one of the issues is that even though information isn't publicly released, even if you were an investigated journalist or just a member of the public and you wanted to go about obtaining that information, other than you know, well-placed sources, your options are limited. We've heard the effort that Luke has gone to to learn what he has, and that's not the complete picture. That Angarda Siakona is largely exempt from the Freedom of Information Act does not help, which is not the case in the UK. How the state uses these powers should be in the public domain. And there's an additional point of concern. The figures that were released in the Dáil this summer show that when the Department of Justice, so when civilians um, took over uh, immigration control from the police, the uh, number of refusals um, increased, uh, increased from around 50% of the total in 2016 to 80% of the total in 2018 and, and 2019. So whoever is performing these roles, we need to think about what the discretion they have is, what training they have, and what oversight there is of these roles. We talked in episode one of the consequences that initial encounters that migrants have with the police can be. That it can create fear, tension and a reluctance to engage with the police. One can imagine that their role in this kind of scenario would not engender trust. As Stefani says at one point, she feels like she had been kidnapped but she couldn't call the police who have brought her to prison. So cases like this, and we know Stefani's case is not exceptional, have immediate consequences for the human rights of individuals but they also have consequences for the relationships that migrant communities have with the police. There is Irish everywhere in the world. There, there is Irish everywhere. So you have immigrants to, that come to Ireland, but you have many people that go to other countries. And of course, nobody will want that your family, your friend or someone live in a situation like this. So we have to try to be better everywhere. An enormous thank you to Stefani for sharing her experiences with me. I'm grateful to Dr. Liam Thornton and Luke Butterly for explaining and contextualising. And as always, a big thanks to Tony Groves and Brian Ahead for producing this. Police in Ireland will be taking a short break for a few weeks. This is the eighth episode we've released and the response has been overwhelming, both in terms of the engagement with what we're doing, but also in terms of people approaching us with experiences they wish to share. It takes time and effort to ensure we handle those experiences properly, so that's what we'll be doing for a few weeks now. And we would greatly appreciate if you could support us in that effort by subscribing on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack and giving us a follow on Twitter at Policed Podcast.